struggling to see God's love? Well, for the month of April, we're looking at uh, some of those why questions that we might ask God. Last week, we looked at why am I here, and we discovered that we're here on this planet at this time in history in order to play a small but significant role in God's story. And we realize that we have good news for the burdened and the battered, and that we can be huts of refuge for those imprisoned by sin and lost in the storms of life. Today, we're going to continue with a Christian that was raised in today's video. Why would God love me? God loves you. Now, I've heard that my entire life. Uh, we remembered my first, first verse that kids learned, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, it's easy to understand that God loves the world. It's so much harder to embrace the fact that God loves me. God loves you, sure. I know how bad I am and how insignificant I feel, so I kind of struggle with God loves me. God loves you. Sure, God could love you, but how could God ever really, really love me? How many of you, maybe at some point in your life, have felt like, I'm so bad, I'm so insignificant? How many of you would say, how could God love someone like me? Now, our inabilities or insecurities at receiving the full love of God generally fall into one of two categories. And we're going to illustrate that this morning with two questions. And the first question we would answer or look at is, why would God love someone as bad as me? Anybody remember that little fellow there? Yeah, Dennis the Menace. The comic strip Dennis the Menace for many years, or the movie in 1993. Now, there was a young fellow that could get into trouble, and he stayed in the terrible twos right through elementary school. And there's a little bit of Dennis the Menace in most of us. Uh, I know all of my faults, my sins, my insecurities, the filth, all the junk in my life. I don't know if you can remember the first time. Do you remember the first time you messed up? First time you kind of became aware of sin? Um, for me, it was, I don't know, I might have been four, and uh, I remember mom pulling out the big old family Bible and reading the Ten Commandments to me and focusing on that one, thou shalt not lie. Uh, I, I had uh, lying. lying. Lying to me was always about getting out of misunderstandings because of abandonment issues that I had in my very, very early days. I had to be perfect. I couldn't be wrong. So a lie was always there to cover up anything where anybody might think that I was wrong. They were my moments. Then there was my Dennis the Menace mo moment. Uh, now, that one's vivid to me. We were visiting my aunt and uncle. I don't know. I might have been seven, somewhere like that. We were getting ready for church on Sunday morning. Now, all of the kids are crowded into the bathroom. And my little cousin was there, five years old, and he was standing in front of the toilet. And I noticed the lid was up, and the other lid was up. I just turned to him, and I said, Mark, sit. <laughs> I did not think he would do it, but he did. He obeyed me right in the toilet. And everybody was upset, and everybody was upset, and I slunk out, and I'm not saying anything here. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel guilty about that to this day. So in heaven, he will come up to me and say, why did you do that? How could God love someone who, what's your moment? Our list of sins go on and on and on and on. 
Now, if you've ever felt that way and wondered how could God love someone as bad as you, you're not alone. If we go to the Bible in the book of Job, Job himself uh, says these words, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself. I can't believe how filthy I am. Job was actually a very righteous person when compared to those around him, but when he had a glimpse of the holiness of God, he felt that sting of sin in his life. Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, had similar thoughts. He didn't say he was the best of the apostles. He actually said, I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He knew that he had actually killed Christ followers. I'm the least, I'm the lowest, I'm the worst. You can almost hear him wondering, how could God love someone like me, who's done as many bad things as I have done? Now, maybe you can relate to that. Why would God love someone as bad as me? Then we come to the second question, the other category that comes in our insecurities in receiving the love of God. And we might say, why would God love someone so insignificant as me? You know, there's 7.3 billion people in the world or more, and uh, I am only one insignificant person in the vastness of the universe. You know, with all that God has to deal with, you know, national disasters and hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes and famines and poverty and epidemics and pandemics, uh, oh, all that stuff that God has to deal with, why would God care about little old me? I'm so insignificant. Back in the days of the Exodus, God was answering the prayer of his people, and he said, I have heard their cry, Moses. I'm going to send you to help deliver them. And Moses answers to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And when you look at who Moses was, how he had grown up, all of the education he had, everything, he was kind of the ideal person, but inside he's going like, why me? I am so insignificant. What do I have to offer? David said exactly the same phrase as he was leading a, an actual worship event toward God. He says, but who am I? And who are my people that we should give anything to you, God? We are so insignificant. Everything that we have comes from you, God. What can we possibly offer you? Why would God love someone as insignificant as me. Two men were on a plane, and they, uh, they, weren't, they didn't know each other. They just kind of do. You know, you're standing, sitting beside somebody, you start talking. One was a Christ follower. The other one, it turned out, was definitely anti-God. And so the Christian, he says, well, why don't you tell me what kind of God you do not believe in? And the man says, okay, I'll tell you. I don't believe in a God who's out to get people. He's sitting up in heaven waiting for people to mess up ready to squish them like a bug. A God who's always angry and delights in sending people to hell. And the questioner said, you know what? I don't believe in that God either. He said, really? You don't? Well, what kind of God do you believe in? And the God that I believe in is not just a God who loves you. That is an action. I love you. I, I, it's an action that I'm showing. I believe in a God who is in his very purest essence is love. 
It's one of his attributes. It's who he is. He doesn't just love as an action. He is love. God is love. And that one fact changes everything. 1 John 4.8 actually says this. The Apostle John was trying to get people to understand that God is love. He says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God doesn't just love us. He is love. Because he is love, he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. The ultimate act of love, he became one of us, the Christmas story. He became a substitution sacrifice so that we could be forgiven, and that's the Good Friday story. He had power over death and rose from the dead, and that is the Easter story that we celebrate this morning. He did it so that we could really live and so that we could know him. Love, that changes everything. God is love, but love is not God. I may know that here in my head, but it's difficult for me to live that here in my heart, in my life. Sure, God loves the world, but what about someone as bad and insignificant as me? So how can I communicate that God loves you individually? Who does God love? God loves artists and astronauts and aerospace engineers. He loves accordion players and airline pilots and athletes and acrobats and accountants, especially during tax season. God loves people from Alberta, Alabama, Alaska, Africa, and Albania. God loves absent-minded people and awkward people and assertive people, authoritarian people, antisocial people, and even aggravating people. God loves animal rights activists. He loves adulterers. He loves abusers. He loves alcoholics. God loves babies and boys and bankers and band leaders and ballerinas and Bible readers and biology teachers and bird watchers, bus drivers, bookworms, bachelors, and bisexual. God loves botanists, bowlers, baby boomers, beekeepers, blondes, brunettes, and people with blue hair. God loves people from British Columbia, Bosnia, Belgium. God loves bosses and braggarts and bag ladies and bartenders and brats and people with braces and bushmen and even Baptists. God loves boars that beat up, burned out, and God loves Britney Spears. Who does God love? God loves children and Canadians and Cubans and Caucasians and Czechoslovakians and Californians, Cambodians, Cherokee, Comanche, and Cree. Godless cooks and celebrities, cops, clowns, cheesecake comedians, and God loves Catholics, charismatics, congregationalists, congressmen, crooks, creeps, cheaters, charlatans. And God loves most people who listen to country music. Shall we go on, or do you start to understand God loves you? That's who he is. It's not what he does. It's who he is. And a negative voice from the evil one will say, yeah, but you're not that good. You're so bad. You're so insignificant. Yet when you understand who he is, that changes everything. How does his love impact our lives daily? If you feel bad about this, understand this. God's love covers your sin. Peter, another of his apostles, says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude 
of sins. There is no better sin-covering love in the world than God's kind of love. In Souk, one of my congregation was in the Navy, Clarence. And Clarence was a biker like his dad. Now, his dad was a real biker. His dad was actually an enforcer in the Vancouver Mafia, who later became a follower of Jesus and became a pastor and a chaplain to all the big biker gangs. And Clarence went to Bible school, but he had a ministry to bikers in bars. And the Bible school rules were that you couldn't go into bars, but they made an exception for Clarence. And when I met Clarence, it reminded me of a story I had heard from a minister. And this minister was very much like my friend Clarence. And this minister writes this. When I was a new believer, I used to go to bars and just talk to people about the love of Jesus. You say, bars? Yes, because drunk people love to talk about Jesus. They really do. And I did that for a long time. I'd go into the bars and just talk to people. And I was in one bar talking to a guy, and this guy was asking questions, and he just acted like we were old friends. Yeah, he was drunk as a skunk, but he was very engaged in the conversation. So much so that he said, hey, the music's too loud. You mind if we go outside? I want to ask you some more questions. And I said, hey, let's go outside. We did. And right when I opened the door to go outside in the middle of the street, there was this flatbed trailer with a street preacher preaching away. And I thought to myself, wow, God, you sent backup. I get him inside, street guy, I'll get him outside. This is amazing. Well, I'm not so sure this street preacher was from God. You see, he's one of those angry types. And the moment I opened up the door, he looked straight at me, pointed his bony finger, and he said, Young man, you're going to hell. And I thought, No, dude, you don't understand. Like, I'm one of you. Jesus rocks. I'm talking to this guy. I'm trying to tell him about it. You need to work with me here. He just looked at me and shouted, No one coming out of that place has anything to do with God. Damnation to you, you no good sinner, you're going to hell. Now, about this time, he was offending my buddy who is drunk and happened to like me. And he said, No, he's not going to hell. He's going to heaven. You're going to hell. <laughs> Next thing you know, drunk guy attacked angry street preacher and a fight broke out. An angry street preacher had angry Christian friends and drunk. Guy had drug friends, and well, thankfully it broke up pretty quick, and I took drunk guy inside. All of a sudden, he unloaded with this pull of emotion. It just came out every pore in his body. See, that's what those blankety-blankety-blank church people are like. They're a bunch of hypocrites, and ah, oh, God doesn't like me. Oh, just forget it all. And I said, look, man, you got to hear me. God is not like that guy. God loves you. No, he doesn't. He just unloaded. I'm so bad. I've done this. I've done that. I've been horrible. God could never love me. And I said, oh man, God does. No, God could never love someone as bad as me. And then God planted this weird thought in my mind. And I said something to him I've never said before and I've never said since. He cried out, God couldn't love me. And I said, you know what? You're probably right. And he went, huh? I said, you're right. I really do believe God loves almost everybody, but you've got to be the exception. But, uh, but, but, and I said, no, no, really, you've been so bad, your life is different, your life is too gross for God, there's no way God loves you. And he goes, yes, he does. <laughs> and all of a sudden, drunk guy started arguing for the love of God. God loves me, he does, he loves me, and believe it or not, this guy led himself to Christ. 
And what you need to know today is the hardcore truth. God loved drunk guy just like God loves you. Uh, yeah, but you don't know what I've done wrong. I've done this. I've got this problem. You know, God's love covers that because he is love. He became one of us and shed his blood to cover our sin. God doesn't love sin. God doesn't want sin, but he loves us so much he covers it. The gospel writer Luke records Jesus' story of the prodigal son. This younger brother ran out, took all his father's wealth, just blew it all, and came home filthy and stinking. And what did the father do? In his love, he brought out a robe and covered his son. God's love covers your sin. And we might say, oh, but I've done so many things, and it's no... God still loves you. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden where they sinned against God. We looked at that last month. One minute they were naked and happy, and the next minute they were naked and ashamed. What happened? Shame entered. Guilt entered. And what did they do to cover their shame? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, to cover their guilt. I don't know if you've ever tried to make a leaf covering. It wasn't really adequate. What did God do? In his love, he sacrificed an innocent animal and made coverings with the animal skin. Trying to cover ourselves is inadequate. God has to do it. It requires a sacrifice, a payment, a ransom. The animal skin was the first of the Old Testament sacrifices that looked forward to and ended with God's son, Jesus. God himself dying to cover our sin. God's love covers your sin. For God so loved the world. Personalize it. For God so loved Dwight Geiger that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved Lance and Wendy and Vince, and Betty, put your own name in there. For God so loved you that he gave. He couldn't help but do it because that's who he is. He is love. He gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish. Why? Because his love covers our sins. So instead of perishing, we can enjoy everlasting life. And a life with God instead of an existence separated from God. Doesn't matter how bad, how messed up you are. He loves you because he is love. And not only does his love cover our sin, but if you ever feel insignificant, write this down. It's God's love that makes you significant. God's love makes you significant. His love isn't temporary and conditional like we're used to. It's everlasting and eternal. Jeremiah 31 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. There are those of you today, God is drawing you. That's right. He's pursuing you. You are significant because you are on the heart of God. You are the one that God is pursuing. In Luke 15, it, Jesus told three stories, three parables, illustrations. And we talked about the prodigal son already today. God waited for the one to come home. Sometimes God waits. There are other times that, oh, he goes looking. 
He pursues. In Luke 15, Jesus says there were another story. He said there was a lady who had ten coins. She lost one. She ripped the whole house apart to find that one. That one was significant to her. Out of love, she pursued the one. Likewise, there was a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. One wanders away. Maybe you're the one. And the shepherd, out of love, left the 99 to pursue the one. His love for the one made that one significant. So at one time, you knew God. You walked with him. You got hurt. You got mad, and you walked away. You're the one. He's coming for you. Or maybe you're like the man who said, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, I don't believe, and that kind of stuff. Well, that's not the kind of God who's here. The kind of God here is full of love, and you're the one, and he's coming for you. He's pursuing you. So we're talking about love and all of this kind of stuff. You know, in high school, there's a big social equation, you know, maybe a prom or a dance, something like that. And, you, you know, the guy's kind of attracted to the girl, but, you know, he doesn't go to the girl. He goes to the girl's friend. And he says, if by some chance I asked her to go to the prom, what do you think she'd say? Now, why does he do that? Why do we do that? Because we don't want to get rejected. It's risky to love first. You know, dating couples, uh, you know, when, when do you risk L word, I love you. You don't want to tell her because if I love first, I'll be vulnerable. Loving first takes the biggest amount of vulnerability, makes the other person incredibly significant. See, you are significant because God loved you first. You understand that? He put it all at risk. Scripture says it this way. We love, why? Because he first loved us. God reached out first and says, I love you. That's what makes you significant. You are significant. And you, in turn, are able to love because he first loved you. When we're talking about God's love, when we're talking about uh, why should God love me, we're all, I don't know, I would say we're often drawn to these verses that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote many years ago to the beginning Roman church, the church of believers in the capital city of Rome. He said, nothing separates us from God's love. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, either height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Maybe you feel, I'm so bad. Remember that God's love covers your sins. You just have to accept it. You need to step out of the cloud of guilt and condemnation and accept his Love And remember, his love makes you significant, even if you feel insignificant. Maybe this would be your prayer this morning. Let's bow our heads. and You might be one who wants to say, Heavenly Father, my prayer is this. Help me to know your love in a more intimate way. Help me to know you, God. Not just that you love me, but to know your kind of love. Help me to surrender fully to your love and know it even more intimately.
Amen. As we transition into communion, would you listen to these verses from the Bible to prepare your heart, your mind, and your soul as we celebrate communion um, that was really started, communion came out of the Passover, and it was at Passover time that Jesus was crucified, died, and rose again. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Praise to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Let me pray a prayer of confession. This comes from the Book of Common Prayer in the Anglican Communion, but its words are meant for us this morning. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and confess our many sins which we from time to time have committed by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Forgive us all that is past and grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please you in newness of life. To the honor and glory of your name, amen. Now hear what comfortable words our Savior Jesus says to all that truly turn to him. He says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. 